Hello and welcome to the Companies and Markets show. My name's Ian Smith. I'm the Companies Editor of the Investors Chronicle. Joining me in the pod today are Emma Powell, our News Editor. How are you doing, Emma? Good, thank you. Results season's starting to calm down a little bit? Yeah, a lot quieter week. But we have the AIM 100 coming up, so we're still busy. Also in the pod, we have Megan Boxwell, our specialist writer. How are you doing, Megan? Good, thank you. You're going to be talking to us about some tech news this week, some mm-hmm. big tech news. And over in the pod studio, we have Dominic Toms. Hi, Dom. Hi there, how are you doing? You all right? Yeah, I'm great, thanks. Good stuff. I think this week we may skip just past the uh, seven days section and go straight to the news section because there's been some big corporate news uh, this week and it doesn't get much bigger in terms of a share price fall than Imagination Technologies. Megan, you've written this story for us. What has happened here? Big share price fall. Um, 60% in one day, which was about £500 million worth of market cap. So it was all bad news for Imagination. Tell us about what they do, first of all. Imagination Technologies have a team of super clever tech people who have designed chips which go into uh, phones and tablets and computers. And they've got three main products, but the, the big seller is their graphic processing unit, which provides all the sort of nice, nice graphic qualities of your iPhone and your iPad. And Apple is their major customer. Yeah, and it's exactly that which is the problem here. Since the very first iPhone was launched uh, back in 2007, Apple have bought all of their graphic processing units from Imagination Technologies, um, which has provided a really big source of revenue for Imagination. And they've been cagey about the amount of revenue that comes from Apple. Is that fair to say? Yeah, everyone's always known that it's been a big proportion of the revenue, but they've always said, we're not going to tell you the exact amount, but it's estimated to be about half of their overall revenue. For a company that was set, it was a seven seven hundred fifty million pound company to have that much revenue coming from one source. It is a bit of a red flag, that's for sure. Particularly now that Apple has decided it's no longer going to require Imagination's graphic processing units because it says it's developed its own ones. And I mean, you could argue that we could have seen this coming. Apple has been saying for a long time that it's got its own team of graphic process designers, um, two hundred strong team. And it's definitely not the first time that Apple's just sort of led a contract with a a big contract with a supplier go. And there is a bit of a lead time on this as well. There is. So um, 24 months, which is pretty much it's it's to do with when the next iPhone is coming out. The first iPhone that will be um, not using Imagination's um, chips. So 15 months to 24 months is what what they say. But Imagination Technologies, they're not going to just walk away from this easily they um they have said there's no definite detail but they've said that they're willing to challenge in court the fact that apple they, the fact that they don't think that apple will be able to design their own graphic processing units without breaching imagination's intellectual property and i mean you can see why if they've used imagination's ip for the last 10 years they've got a pretty good inside track on what makes imagination's products very good and can so, they not just go and use another competitor's products uh yeah there are competitors um and they could well could well be doing that. Um, there's one called Advanced Micro Devices, which is a California-based company. It provides the um, graphic processing units for um, things like the PlayStation, the Xbox 360. So actually, to be honest, I don't know if it's the same kind of thing that goes into a phone or a tablet, but there are other companies out there which are doing similar things. But the point of this is that Apple have said that they've developed their own, their own ones. But Imagination Technologies are kind of saying, well, you can't have done, and you can't have produced one that is the same as ours without breaching our IP. So there could yet be some legal wrangling around this, but what we learn from the big share price fall that hasn't um, been um, recovered is that 
a big chunk of revenue is now not expected to be accruing yeah, to exactly. uh, imagination technologies over the over the medium term. And it, this is a business that over the past few years has struggled a little bit with declining smartphone sales or slowing smartphone sales, I should say. And the founder and kind of leader of the business for nearly 20 years um, resigned at the beginning of last year. So th- there's been some kind of hiccups along the way, is that fair to say? Yeah, it definitely seems like that. And I think, well, we were talking about it earlier, the kind of the the golden light which seems to have kept the share price going for the last year is the fact that people thought Apple might buy Imagination Technologies because um, $65 million is what they think roughly um, Apple are pay- paying annually for licensing the technology um, which doesn't seem like very much for a massive company like Apple but actually Apple's not that profitable it could do without paying that extra mm. <laughs> extra bit massive chunk of money every year um, and so it's yeah, also a, lot a partial of... shareholder last time I checked I think they have quite yeah. a small yeah shareholder yeah they are a shareholder yeah um, so yeah there's that as well um, and that's, so that's another sort of point um, to suggest that Apple may have been a buyer I mean I don't think they'd be allowed to be a buyer now it would be a relatively dubious move to hammer the share price like that and then make it a make a takeover offer but that's not to say that another company couldn't make a takeover offer consolidation does seem to be happening in the graphic processing unit market i suppose for that takeover to be viable they'd have to be convinced that there is long-term value in this product still and in yeah. this product line yeah i think that's it it's in the product it's not in the business um i mean a business which has such a massive reliance on one customer is i don't think ever going to be a be anything that other people will be that interested in but if they've clearly got some very good scientists so that may be the company's saving grace but but we're um, fairly negative we are and that's mainly because um without apple revenue it's going to be moving in back into a loss making position it's got a massive amount of debt it almost breached its banking covenants last year and had to pay a one-off fee to hsbc i mean it's not looking good and the prospect of a long legal battle does is not what a company like this uh what should be a fast-growing tech company really needs. Um, yeah, and we also, aside from Megan's uh, news analysis, we also have a bearable column this week uh, focusing on imagination mm. uh, and the longer-term kind of financial performance of the company um, and what our cash, what its cash outflows or lack of them tells us about um, its prospects and, and I suppose the quality um, the quality of its earnings. Um, okay. So, Emma, what else have we got in the news section this week in terms of big stories? That was probably the biggest story, but what else are we kind of picking out? There was something, actually, which should be our new spotlight this week that was on RPC, which I'm sure readers will have noticed has been declining sharply, the share price there. Well, since January, actually, really, but um, it, it was more interesting this week because they put out what seemed like a quite a positive trading statement saying that uh, revenues were ahead of expectations and that they had kind of cash flow was developing well so it was quite odd that it was it kind of declined about seven percent on the day a lot of the reason behind that is actually um there was an asset manager northern trust that put out a very bearish note on the company the the kind of crux of which was they think that rpc are using acquisitions to mask inability to grow okay so let's start at the bottom i suppose this was a tip of the year last year in the ic yeah um it's a company that uh, makes rigid plastics but what has been its growth strategy in uh, recent years well it's growth strategy i mean what we think are that it does make well thought out acquisitions so um you know acquisitions that are going to complement its 
complement its growth strategy. There's also um, so so for example, there's quite a lot of consolidation in this sector. By nature, the the European plastics industry is very fragmented. So there's lots of opportunity for consolidation and by the fact that it is so fragmented, it's naturally very inefficient. So if you can build scale, obviously that's very helpful. The sector, the packaging sector or plastic sector as a whole is growing. Um, it's largely delivered on that growth strategy over the past couple of years. Well, yeah, exactly. And it had, to, hence our reason for the, the 2016 tip of the year. There's also other kind of factors like falling polymer prices, which um, should feed through and things like that. Um, the share price had done very well up until January. So the criticism coming from Northern Trust seems to be that shareholder value over the long term isn't best served by this policy because it's actually masking underlying profitability. Yeah. Just by adding scale, adding um, to the top line, um, there could be kind of building up problems in store. Yeah. And the, the main things are, so they've done, um, I think it's 10, 10 deals, 10 acquisitions in just over 12 months. Um, and Northern Trust's argument is that they're kind of using it to mask cash flows and also capital returns. Um, and they kind of blame things like the way that um, cash flow is being presented. It's very much how they're accounting for things is what Northern Trust is looking at. They also argue that uh, the, the synergies aren't coming through as they should be. And also, uh, yeah, like I said, that before, they are paying too much for acquisitions as well. Paying too much for acquisitions um, that they're buying, that the businesses they're buying are too low margin. That's another criticism. So we have a news analysis piece, as you say, this week from Mark Robinson, where he looks into some of those uh, criticisms that have been levelled against RPC. And what's his general take? Well, his general take, also, it's just, just important um, to getting that obviously um, RPC did come out with a response to this and did say that their um, their return on capital employed has always outstripped their weighted average cost of capital so that they've been responsible in that way. And that also um, only a fraction of the 300 or so opportunities they have had since its launch of its, um, its 2020 strategy that they've actually completed with. So that's their response. Um, but in terms of what Mark Robinson's kind of take was, he remains bullish on it. Um, he, he, he thinks that these deals will prove to be valuable or deliver value for shareholders. The polymer, the, the reduction in polymer prices will eventually pass through. Um, I mean, ultimately, there, there are a lot of intangibles on their balance sheet. but So the big worry is that you get into a situation like an RBS type situation where they've bought so many businesses, it's masking the underlying performance. And in the event of a tougher trading conditions, uh, there could be a lot of write downs yeah. on the balance sheet. Yeah, I mean, destruction of value. Yeah, when when the sector's growing, obviously it's easy to kind of keep making acquisitions and keep growing revenue. But I saw net net debt to equity at the uh, net debt um, over equity at the last results we did was around seventy percent. I think it's the leverage has increased since then on the back of the other acquisitions they've done. Um, but I suppose that's another metric that readers can look at if they're starting to get concerned about um, this business becoming very top-heavy in terms of its balance sheet. Yeah, of course. And uh, another point that Northern Trust make is about um, the kind of exceptionals and too many exceptionals on, on the balance sheet, which, again, is, you know, we, we've seen with other companies like Outsourcers that being an issue. Um, but I think Mark's, Mark's point was that... Um, that I guess they're in an, an in in an investment phase at the moment, so that value will start to feed through. He also disagrees, actually, with the fact that they're paying too much for their acquisitions, saying that actually the price multiples are fairly typical for the sector, actually. 
Okay, so yeah, and there's plenty more in that piece, so do have a look at that. Uh, elsewhere in news, maybe we should just pick out Alloyed Mines, um, which is another company that had a bit of a big share price fall this week. Uh, Megan, you've picked up on this um, story in the, in the news section. Um, and Emma, I know you've covered this, this company as well previously. Megan, perhaps start with you. What, what has happened this week? Emma and I, I think have very different views on this kind of company. So it's quite an interesting one to talk about because so this week, um, yeah, big share price fall this week and also towards the end of last week after quite a bearish note from Jefferies. Um, but what happened on um, Wednesday was the company announced that it was going to be divesting seven of its subsidiary businesses. So Allied Mines um, invests, takes intellectual property out of universities and invests in them and tries to build them up um, for commercialisation. So it has um, a swathe of early companies yeah. in a couple of different sectors. Yeah, in the tech, tech and biotech bio. space mainly. Um, and actually, interestingly, six of the companies that it's decided to get rid of are actually in the biotech space. And the background to this is that they have a new chief executive, yeah, so, a new broom coming in and sweeping. Exactly. So a couple of weeks ago, um, the founder stepped down and we were kind of discussing it and what's going on there. It seemed a bit odd for the founder of a company like this, which... It had always been, uh, we're going to grow to this point. They had a very clear strategy. Would set down, step down before they reached that goal. <laughs> Seems now that maybe there's been a little bit of disagreement in terms of where the company should specialise. Um, and um, management, the new management, have decided to take some, take the money out of these seven businesses, which it um, it seems to be, seem to be struggling and put that money they think it's going to release about 14 million dollars worth of extra funds for its highest profile opportunities and the ones with the the biggest growth prospects um maybe the founder didn't like that idea maybe that's why he left i mean we're only speculating here but the new um chief executive or well, the she's in she's an interim chief executive she's been on the board for the last year so so um, it, some people would think such a refocus could be seen as positive why did the shares fall in this case? What does it tell us about the way these companies are valued? So that's why I think it's interesting. And um, yeah, maybe Emma's got something to say about this as well. Because for me, I would look at this like a biotech company. But I know Emma, and it is actually listed as a special, spe- specialty finance company. So maybe a lot of investors are specialty finance companies, um, investors who are going to see that this is going to be a pretty big write down on their asset value. And that's not good if you're investing in that kind of business yeah so i would i would actually agree with you that it is people should be valuing these more more as kind of biotechs because it is just very much what people estimate these companies to be worth and you know it is 147 million dollars that's now been written down 118 million pounds ish um but I think also why the shares went down so much and actually by the end of Wednesday the shares had actually decreased by around 25 percent in one day um and I and I think what that points to is it must say something about you know if I'm an investor the judgment of uh, the management in terms of you've been singing the praises of these companies now you've decided actually they're not going to they're not going to make financial sense to take them all the way to commercialization but because it's so reliant on management judgment I guess and what un- they invest yeah. in that you know I would of course you then question because you think well actually. Um, what other companies are going to be written off, you know? Is it is it also potentially as simple, or, simple as it has a big pot of companies that could become very valuable in future and now it has a smaller pot that it's focusing on? You know, is, yeah, the, maybe. is the upside just 
pretty clearly limited. It's very hard to value that upside, but it's very clear to see that that upside is potentially like half of what it was. Maybe, yeah. But I think, as Emma says, the value on the companies, the subsidiaries, they, they mean nothing. They are literally someone's guess. And that's why this write down it means something at the moment but actually if any of the companies do reach commercialization they're going to be worth so much more than what is currently booked as their value so actually by writing down that money and using using the extra funds to push into the companies which do have the higher potential i i think that it it sounds like yeah as you say management may have made some poor decisions in the past um and now they're trying to sort that out quickly um and push the money into into where uh, where it can be of greater benefit. So, yeah, it to me it sounds quite sensible. Um, well, we'll see how it plays out. Mm. I just want to take a few minutes just to talk about a few of the smaller um, takeover stories that have happened this week. Um, so, one of the, the bigger names, I suppose, that we've covered in previous weeks is Bovis. Um, Megan, you take charge of our takeovers page for the IC. Um, so, the Bovis story is done, or yes. is it? Uh, well, who knows? Um, uh, yeah, so a couple of um, bidders for Bovis in the last few weeks have now both pulled out. Redrow was the first, but they had actually made an offer which was lower than the value of Bovis at the time, which I don't think the shareholders would have ever agreed to that. Um, and then there was a the second offer from Galliford Tri. Yeah, and Galliford Tri said that they haven't been able to secure the support of the Bovis board on terms that represent the best interests of Galliford shareholders. But... Even though this Galliford deal now, they've stepped back and Bovis have essentially rebuffed them. Bovis have now hired uh, mm. the former ch- chief executive of Galliford. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, <laughs> they clearly, well, Bovis have had a rough time. I mean, yeah, it, it may, be, may be a good thing um, that they are doing something. But <laughs> oh, yeah, I think their share price went up a yeah. little bit on the day. So it'll be interesting to see. There was very much a um, sentiment from analysts that they needed a new person at the top, given the the problems they had with production problems and management problems. Um, and now they've got this person with a vast amount of experience. So they've got the um, new CEO from the, uh, from the well, the former CEO of the acquirer, uh, but they haven't been acquired. So it's an interesting little twist there. Yeah. Okay. Um, just in tip updates, I know uh, one of um, our Twitter followers, at Vodka Quickstep, has uh, requested that we talk about WS Atkins. Emma, this is a company with which you have some familiarity. It's had a big takeover offer uh, this week. Um, what have we learnt? Yeah, this is a bit of a surprise one, actually. We had it on a tip, and now, actually, it's, it's quite well up on the tip. Um, yeah, basically, they've been approached um, by one of their Canadian kind of peers, SNC Lavalin. And they do um, engineering services. Yeah, sorry. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, uh, WS Atkins do engineering services, um, consultancy. They've also got, they do a lot in the nuclear space. Um, so, yeah, uh, they've been approached by one of their Canadian peers, which is actually looking to buy them, um, kind of funded. It's going to be funded by equity and debt, Canadian by a Canadian pension fund investor, Casta Depot Placement de Quebec. Perfect pronunciation right. of the French there. <laughs> and that's an interesting, um, this equity and debt coming from this Canadian pension fund is actually secured against S&C Lavalin's interest in a domestic toll road in Canada. The cash flows um, and that asset are being used to, um, to secure um, the debt um, that's being provided by the Canadian pension fund. So it's just good, another example of if you own fixed income alternative 
type assets, they have a big attraction to institutional investors. And this is quite an interesting way of deploying that capital then um, to help grow your business. Because I know that from some of the reading I did um, when I was looking at this story that SNC Lavalin um, previously had been pressured by some of their shareholders to sell that toll road or sell their interest there seen as a non-core asset. It's quite a good example of if you think that you uh, that an asset you hold has a value to a certain kind of investor, there is something um, creative that you can do there. Do you foresee, I know our follower, as I said, Vodka Quickstep uh, mentioned that there might be similar kind of consolidation in this sector. But do you think the conditions exist for further um, consolidation in this support services sector? Well, the premium they're offering, which it was a 35% um, above the, the closing price the, the day before, shows that obviously people are valuing these businesses. And something else is, um, you know, you could argue for a lot of support services companies and we've discussed outsourcers, I mean, slightly different models, um, that there is very much a race to, you know, many companies chasing the same contracts. There is WIG. um, You've also got people like um, Babcock, who does a lot of nuclear, who's, you know, a competitor to Atkins and things like that. So So securing the pipeline of work, do you think? Securing the pipeline of work and actually protecting margins, you could argue, by having more consolidation in the sector. And also they do do a lot of um, I, I imagine what's attractive about WS Atkins is, um, especially given the fact that they're using um, equity and debt provided by a pension fund and, and given the the um, attraction of in- infrastructure assets to big institutional investors like pension funds, WS Atkins does a lot of um, long contracts, you know, and yeah. the, the fact that they do stuff in the nuclear space, they have, you know, 20-year contracts and things like that. I mean, they've got a lot of very kind of sticky business there. Okay, fascinating. And the other one, just to quickly cover off, is um, Shawbrook, which we covered in the the news section. So that's Shawbrook, the Challenger Bank. Um, I don't know if we've discussed this previously on the podcast, but they've had um, an approach from Pollen Street Capital, their major shareholder, um, together with another private equity holder. What The second um, offer wasn't any higher in price than the first offer, but it was structured differently. Yeah, it was about... Actually, a bit of a weird one. Um, so they, they first made an offer, um, Pollen Capital with BC Capital Partners also. Um, they they made an offer together and obviously Pollen is Pollen already owns 38.9% um, share in Shawbrook. So they're a big, big shareholder. Um, so they made an offer first at the beginning of March. It was rejected by the board. They said after speaking to their other majority shareholders or major shareholders, um, they rejected that offer. That was 330 pence a share, cash per share. Now they've come back with exactly the same offer and they'll guarantee to pay the dividend for 2016, which is around uh, 2.7 pence a share, I believe. But once again, that offer has been, um, it, well, it's, it's not being recommended by the board. Um, but what they've done slightly differently is they've actually, um, rather than structure it as a scheme of arrangement, which requires um, the board's recommendation and also at least 75% acceptances from the people voting. Independent shareholders, yeah. Yeah, they're doing it as a kind of takeover where you don't have to have the board recommend it and they just require um, at least 50%. 50% plus one. Plus one shares, uh, plus one vote, sorry, um, 
uh, to accept the offer. So they need lower acceptances, which is interesting because obviously Pollen Capital already own 38.9%. Then they've already had um, letters of support or, you know, intent yeah. to, to accept from a further 6%, I believe they said, uh, at the last kind of announcement. So they're fairly close. Exactly. And what's our take on this offer? I... I don't think it's that great for. I, I kind of agree with Shawbrook management. I really don't think it's very good value for shareholders. Obviously, they they. Uh, it was a premium to the prevailing share price, um, but in terms of the value it puts on the book value, uh, the assets of the company, net tangible assets, um, it's around one point six times. Yeah, or, or nine point seven times earnings. Which is forecast. Which is pricing in growth, but against the challenger bank sector, isn't particularly toppy. It's not. It's not toppy at all, actually, because because obviously the challenger banks do trade at a premium to the mainstream banks. There's, I mean, you could say there's reasons for that in terms of higher returns on equity and things like that, um, and the sheer amount of growth that they post. Um, so in that respect, it's it's not it's not very good against peers. But it has um, so much support; it might be um, almost futile to push against. But I could see that, but I don't, you know, I, I would I would still just say, you know, I, I don't think it's great value for shareholders. They've still got to convince some of the other, yeah, and of they have they had have. some yeah. um, pushback from the other major shareholders. And if the first time round, um, you know, management went to their major shareholders, who clearly they took on board that feedback and then chose not to recommend it, then there's nothing to say, obviously, the you know, that they won't um, turn it down yet again i mean obviously well it'll be interesting to um to see what happens they're obviously quite resolute in the fact that they're not gonna increase it above 330 pence who knows maybe they will but that's not going to be the end of that and i'm sure we'll be discussing that for a couple of months to come or weeks at least and actually now we've been joined in the pod by james norrington one of our specialist writers hi james how are you doing i'm good ian how are you not too bad you've written the cover feature this week dollar danger dollar danger our friend uh, donald on the on the front cover again yeah, I think some people are going to enjoy that image, depending on their political proclivities. Uh, but I wanted to um, just preface this feature. Obviously, in the companies section, those companies that earn a high proportion of dollar revenues have seen uh, strong growth since the uh, decline in sterling following the uh, EU referendum. And lots of people have been celebrating that. But obviously, that does create a risk for those companies as well. Um, so you've dug into the whole impact of a strong or weakening US dollar on the economy as a whole and not just UK companies? I've looked at um, the, the dollar is obviously the global reserve currency. It's it's key to, to all global asset classes. Um, so the, the purpose of this feature is really to dig into the impact for, for your broad asset allocation of, of what a stronger dollar or a weaker dollar might do. Obviously, um, the US dollar's had been much weaker since the start of 2017. Um, well, in, in terms of its run, it's been weaker. It's still you know, quite strong. It's quite strong quite strong and still remains strong against sterling of course at a time where uh, donald trump is uh, receiving the chinese premier and he's previously accused the company in his presidential campaign of um, devaluing its currency against the dollar at these kind of very politicized times for uh, currency what are your thoughts on the kind of the major pressures upwards and downwards on the dollar 
Well, I think the the dollar. Um, if you could, in, in one respect, um, you know, the, the demand uh, of, of a nation's currency, the demand on on the UK's currency, is a reflection of of, of the balance of trade. Um, obviously, Brexit weighed heavily um, on on you know people's perceptions of, of you know what the demand for UK goods and services, how UK trade is is going to pan out. So so the pound took a took a bit of a battering. The US dollar is a different case because it's the global reserve currency. Um, so on the one hand, the dollar's been weaker this year um, because we've seen the Trump trade come off a bit. We've uh, people people were very hungry for US dollar assets, um, thinking that, that the president's uh, fiscal agenda, um, abolishing Obamacare, low taxes, uh, low taxes, investment in infrastructure. Exactly. So it was it was sort of a risk on trade that that you know uh, US equities would fly, um, the US economy would be strong, and therefore people would want. Uh, dollars they'd be rushing into dollar assets. denominated assets yeah, yeah. um and uh, and that obviously that came off a bit uh since the start of the year the failure to to get the re- repeal of obamacare through congress so so on the one side and, and the dollar is um you know, fundamentally, it's 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 been stronger not because the U.S. economy has been spectacularly successful. Obviously, it's grown better than 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 in the eurozone, for example, over the last few years. Um, but it's been a reflection of, of the dollar status of global reserve currency and of divergent monetary policy um, from the U.S. Federal Reserve and other major central banks like the ECB and and the Bank of Japan, for example, that still in, indulging in in quantitative easing um, and therefore have have very low interest rates. It's hard to get a a good rate of return and in terms of safe government bonds uh, sort of the only game in town really is still US treasuries which, which are, are yielding a, a, you know, a two and a half percent whereas here we're looking at sort of negative yields on bonds um, and, and people obviously need dollars to buy those assets. Yeah I mean it, this kind of speaks to the complexity of this issue and it's very difficult for the average investor to make a call about the future uh, political relationship between China and the US or the relationship between uh, Donald Trump and, uh, and his uh, legislature and how he's going to pursue his agenda. But you've looked at things that investors can do just to take into account the impact of currency on their portfolio rather than having to go long dollar or go short dollar. Well, I think you know, the, the danger is... Um, so. I think that a lot of UK investors will have bought FTSE 100 companies with um, with strong dollar earnings, as you, as you mentioned at the outset. Uh, that's still, given you know the idiosyncratic risks the UK faces over the next couple of years, that, that's still probably a smart move. Um, but obviously, uh, you know, buying a company, the, your prime concern is you, you shouldn't become a currency trader. You're a long term investor. You, you're right. looking um, fundamentally at, um, at how well uh, sort of dividends are covered by by cash earnings um, and positive cash flows, uh, earnings growth, um, and, and you know, f- you know, fundamental valuation measures should, should still come first. But looking at other companies as, as sort of your international um, diverse asset allocation, and then you need to be aware of, of the effect the dollar will, will have on, on your portfolio. It will have an effect on uh, um, investment in, uh, in international bonds, um, for example. Um, if you were looking at an ETF investing in, in, in high-yield bonds, uh, a strong dollar um, potentially makes debt repayment higher for those companies. Um, so so that, that, that adds risk to, to that investment. Commodities um, often uh, suffer with, uh, with a strong US dollar because uh, it increases the cost for people to buy commodities such as oil because it's priced in dollars so that can slacken demand which uh, which can ultimately uh, have a have an effect on earnings um, and it's something obviously that was part of the sort of the strand of economic tactics that the US used to, to punish Vladimir Putin in 2014 as well so 
I mean, I suppose a lot of the traditional IC readers, we have a, a bias towards domestic stocks. We know that our readers prefer them. They then don't have that um, currency translation risk. Um, so, And there's a reason why we have a kind of UK focus, because that reflects what our readers have. Um, but that potentially has hurt them. Um, and those that you say have kind of dollar earning stocks. What do you think for that a reader should take away from this in terms of looking across their portfolio and just getting a sense of their dollar exposure. Are there any kind of quick tips or strategies you think they can put into place to get a sense of how exposed they are? In terms of the big asset, as I said, with, with your UK stocks, again, just, just look at the, the underlying quality of a company. Um, that's the most important thing. Um, if, with other asset classes, uh, I would and a lot of people have discussed uh, European bank stocks as a as a value play. They say they're undervalued. I think potentially, if the dollar were to spike in value again, which it may do, because um, one of the, the key points in the feature is is the size of the euro dollar market, which we haven't mentioned. But but European banks are are very exposed to to the cost of their dollar funding going up um, to carry out their global operations. So that's another risk for European banks at a time when uh, you know we're still really not sure what's going on with the euro. So um, if you're looking at value, uh, sort of you know, people are touting sort of European value ETFs. Um, I'd be looking at sort of excluding financials still from that. Um, perhaps uh, I would also say um, you know uh, with Japan um, is a, is another um, investment uh, that that you know Japan actually needs a, a weak a stronger dollar um, because then the yen is weaker um, which is good for Japanese companies and their exports um, so so that's that's one to watch and then for a, for a diverse asset allocation I, I think you're looking really at, at sort of some exposure to it's to other regions of course Japan would be one if the dollar gets stronger will will do quite well if the if the dollar remain the other thing if the dollar gets stronger um, be careful about your emerging markets exposure in your yeah. portfolio obviously that's your long term growth play is is EM but uh, the, the size of of debts um, of dollar denominated debts for emerging market companies uh, is, is huge um, it was it was uh, 20, I don't know the current figure, but in 2016, we're talking 5.7 trillion dollars. If that trade unwinds, then uh, then uh, that's going to be a lot of problem for EM. And just quickly, the backdrop to this is the uh, the monetary uh, policy in the US. So a kind of um, a, a, an interest rate hiking cycle um, will you know encourage. The strength of the dollar, correct? Well, the real, the real, well, the, the, the in, higher interest rates means you're going to earn more in that currency, and actually, this is key to to the whole um, underlying dollar issue. This is why I've come to the conclusion in the future that that even though the dollar has come off a bit at the start of 2017, you need to watch out for for a spike in the in the value of the dollar, um, because uh, as I said, the euro dollar market. Um, uh, Dollar, the, the the exchange of dollars outside of the U.S. financial system, which is used um, in emerging market debt, in in um, in commodities trading, um, in in banking funding all around the world, um, that the price of that funding could spike um, because if if the Fed raising rates makes dollars more attractive, but the other thing is is because that policy is diverging from say the Bank of Japan from the ECB, that's opened up uh, something called the carry trade where people will borrow. In, in yen at very low interest rates and buy dollar denominated assets which pushes up the the demand for dollars um, another carry trade that's also going on is one from from the US and also from other places like Japan to emerging markets where you are borrowing at relatively lower rates in 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 for for the US and then and then buying emerging market debt um, for a very high yield yeah risky game but but they they are paying they're paying their debts in dollars 
So the very act of this trade is pushing up the, the cost of the dollars that they then need to, to, to repay the debt. So once somebody starts defaulting on those debts, then the whole trade unwinds. And that's when you get another spike in dollars. So, so that's, that's the big danger. Yeah. So, so a broad asset allocation is, is what you need in your portfolio. Yeah, I think um, it, it's interesting just to bring it back to, I suppose, my domain in the company side of things. Um, obviously, we've seen a huge amount of companies benefit especially the biggies that have a lot of dollar earning um revenue the worry um for those investors is that okay the political we're starting to some of the known unknowns are becoming known around the uk's exit from the eu there might be some strength returning to the pound we've had a couple of supportive investment bank um research pieces saying that they project a stronger pound so they worry that maybe that um price differential um also their currency translation impact might be unwinding but that's really interesting you're, you're getting into why reasons why the dollar might stay strong this year um and support um, those holdings. I think I think that that there is a fundamental dollar strength case that that, that could come back that you need to be aware of. Um, but I think uh, the the key point is if you're a UK investor buying UK shares, um, don't act like a currency trader. Um, act like a long term investor. Yeah. Um, so it's a very different buying a FTSE 100 company with strong dollar earnings um, and uh, and an AIM stock which happens uh, to have uh, most of its customers in America. If if that still if that business case still goes belly up, then that that share is not going to be any good no matter what it earns in if if those uh, those earnings fall through. Thanks, James. Thanks very much. Uh, so elsewhere in the issue this week, we have a sector focus looking at the difficulties facing the makers of generic drugs, which is important for the uh, London pharmaceutical market. Um, we've got the kind of dog days of the results season as things start to quieten down, but some important companies in there, Chesnara, um, the closed, uh, the consolidator of closed life insurance businesses. Um, uh, yeah, and there's plenty more in there. We have a property matters from Jonas Crossland looking at student buy to let as an alternative to traditional residential buy to let um, and how that might stack up for a private investor so there's plenty more in there as i say it's four pounds 90 in all good news agents see you next week planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.